we're in the pocket. All right. Uh, how do we want to... Do you want to do the intro? Do you want me to do the intro? Do we have a lazy intro where we just start talking like right now? And here we are. What do you want to do, Michael? I think you retroactively made it the third one with the way you I sold knew I it. did. And God damn it. I really don't God. want this to be what people hear. Because it could be someone's first like interaction with work from us, but you kind of locked it in. <laughs> uh, it's a lazy you. intro. It's a lazy intro, everybody. Hey, I'm Abe, and this is Frame Rate. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm here with uh, my other co-hosts. Lazy Bones Swain, they call me. <laughs> and I'm your other co-host here on Frame Rate, the podcast where we rate frames, which means talk uh, about movies. God. Probably. I'm sorry. We, I'm just, I, I hate you. We'll make all. up, though. We'll get <laughs> yeah, over oh, it in time. Totally. Yeah. Totally. In time. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so we're here with a special guest mm -hmm. who doesn't like to speak until we introduce him. So I'm <laughs> going to do that. Um, Aww, guest, introduce yeah. yourself. Hello, my name is Daniel O'Brien. I am the ooh, 2014 winner of the Asbury Park, New Jersey Battle of the Bands. Um, Congratulations! That's it. That's that's the only accomplishment that's your, I have. That's actually. the only thing to your name. Yeah, that's the only thing yeah. that I've done. Uh, and was that? I know it's taken me six years, but I just wanted to say congratulations about that. By the was way, was that with the criminals? That was with uh, uh, my high school and college band, Lunch Money Criminals. Yes, that's correct. Nice. All you Wait, LMC 2014. Fans There's out no there. way that's true. Hold I was going to no say way that's, true. that's seven full years after 2004. I graduated college. God forgive me. Okay, 2004. Asbury Man. So 16 years ago, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. That's even longer. That's okay. Congratulations. I really, <laughs> and here I was thinking I was going to come into this podcast as a voice of order to make it clearer for listeners, and I've just made things so much worse. Yeah. God. With if, false information and confusion. That also would have been a huge bombshell if you were casually revealing that mid-working at Cracked... Yeah. Well, you were going blind in one eye from overwork. You were like, yeah, I kept lunch money criminals together. We were winning yeah. battles of the band, dude. I, I flew mean, back like, to Jersey I, for that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was like three days in Los Angeles and then two days in New Jersey and then back to Los yeah. Angeles for a day and then back to New Jersey for a day just for the battle. It's a tour life, man. Yeah. Let me ask you this. <laughs> if people Google the phrase lunch money criminals, will they hear your band? Uh, there are a couple of videos that um, people who are not in our band like unsanctioned folks have put up mm. on youtube and there are like I'm, i have no interest in trying to take them down i am embarrassed by some of them but there's a couple that i i, I watch and like yeah i was in a band and we were cool and that's fun yeah good for you buddy <laughs> <laughs> thanks been in a band yeah yeah bands are cool we miss you the band misses you oh band. i miss the band too oh, yeah so i uh so this is uh this is this is band rates, uh, the podcast where we rate bands. That's true. And mm -hmm. in addition to the award-winning Lunch Money Criminals from somewhere between 2004 and 2024, uh, I was also in a band with Abe Epperson and Cody Johnson, friend of the pod, and Brendan Carter, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's and the Michael and mark? Michael oh. Swaim, friend of the pod. Yeah, I yeah, mean Michael Michael Swaim, pod of the pod. We're all fobs, mm -hmm. fobs yeah. and pops. Yeah, yeah. The, that was called God. the gross little bugs and then the fantastic little guys. Various things. Uh, milk, milk, milk. Yeah. Still exists. Uh, don't recall that one, but you know, who can say? Yeah. 
no one no one will ever be to say yep speaking of laziness and criminals let's wow. talk about uh, a bunch <laughs> of uh, slap dick blackmail attempts culminating in murder most foul because it's time that we finally talk clue clue i want to so just to to give some listeners some kind of context, context i've done this yeah. show before i've been very lucky uh to be asked to do this show we talked about groundhog day we talked about uh mm-hmm. thick of it and mm-hmm. uh i think one other uh maverick and yeah. what i learned mm-hmm. on my last appearance was that michael swaim had at that point never seen the movie clue which uh for me had been like such a it's like Monty Python-esque in that if you were a young comedy nerd and you found someone who had also seen it, you were like, oh, good, you're, you're, you're one of my people. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're like a safe person to talk to about comedy because you've, you've, <laughs> you've seen this weird shit. And I just assumed because cause Michael has such strange comedy nerd energy, it, not strange, such strong comedy nerd energy <laughs> that I assumed... Uh, all of my cultural experiences were also his cultural experiences. So finding out in our mid thirties that he had never seen Clue was a huge bombshell to me. It's like finding out someone in music hadn't heard the Beatles before. Right. Right. Uh, wow. Yeah, I uh, I remember that, and I remember us both kind of going, "Really?" Um, it wasn't as important to me in my development, uh, and I I have to say coming out hot i guess i rewatched this because we did a clue sketch uh at some point last year and um i have to say uh i don't think it holds up personally well i also want to say that's the first that's when this first came out is i bullshitted my way through a clue sketch without having seen clue and multiple people were very upset katie willer was also displeased to find this out um let me ask you this does the board yeah. game Clue, a.k.a. Cluedo, did they release the movie internationally as Cluedo or Cluedo? Uh, first of all, is no, it... No, just Clue. Cluedo? No, it's just Clue. Okay. No, but it is in England. Oh, like, it's based England, on, yeah, In England the Parker and Canada, Brothers. it's called Cluedo, I think, for some reason. I think that's what the game is based on. Yeah. Yes. And then this is based off the, you know... Uh, board game yes. being popular okay. across America, but well, like I, I, I wish I had yeah. that answer for you, Michael. When this game came out, when this movie came out a year before I was born, that's I don't true. know what they were calling it in Canada. And that's mm. really what I wanted to get you at do. is, uh, it's kind of crazy that th- is this the, this may be the earliest adaptation of a non traditional source that I'm aware of. Like you know, nowadays we're adapting single tweets into Quibi minisodes and i don't even <laughs> nothing means anything and but, we should be <laughs> and we yeah. should be oh, strong on clear i'm very excited for the reno 911 revival but that being said i was amazed how old because jen was my lovely girlfriend was like can i yeah i'll watch it with you when did this come out and i guessed mid 90s because i saw it on comedy central all the time in passing when i was growing up only to realize it came out the year i was born 1985 and I was like, damn, that was forward thinking in so far as I think it's one of the earliest production teams to say, fuck it. I don't know. A board game. Let's adapt a board game. I think it was ahead of its time in that in that regard. I mean, if this is the 80s and this is also and someone can correct me if I'm wrong in the comments so I can ignore it. um, But if this is the 80s, this is around the same time where like 
Transformers w- existed as a toy and then became a show or something like that. Like like mm. the eighties were a pretty wild west of anything can be anything. Let's just let's just co-market everything as everything and just like like we own this property, the, so what can we do with it? The boy version of Polly Pocket. What was he called? He got Mad a show. Max. Was it Mad Max? Uh, Magic Max. Magic Max. It was Max something, definitely. And there was a rooster named Virgil. Anyway, yeah. okay, so that provides some context. Uh, I am always delighted. I feel like the movie's foundational, if only to complete my like relationship with Tim Curry's career. Yeah, because Mighty it Max. seems like a. Mighty Max, that's the one. Thank you, sir. Uh, that was a big missing link. And I want Abe to shit on the movie, but I also want to just marvel at the fact that coming in fresh, it was like an exercise in just watching Tim Curry carry absolutely scene after scene. Like you have all these heavy hitters that I also can't believe as the cast unfolded, I was like, Oh, I understand why Dan felt that way because Martin Mull is someone who I constantly sing the praises of, of like, no one knows his name. And I know comedy nerds do, but like the world should know Martin Mull's name. I think he's so great. And then seeing him in this, I was like, oh, here it goes. I started rubbing my hands together and he does a great job with what he gets. Ditto Michael McKeon, of course. But I would argue that I don't, it felt like on a script level, Tim Curry is bringing like, 75% of the dialogue. Does anyone know? Was this built around Tim Curry? Like, it was not. It It wasn't like Tim Curry. It wasn't wasn't built specifically around him. But, like, one of the things that I really appreciate about this movie is how much sweating you can see that Tim Curry is physically doing. Like, they don't do anything about mopping that up because by the end of this movie, he is sprinting around and uh, speaking a mile a minute for a movie that is shockingly long, he's saying so many fucking words, and they're just like, "Let him sweat. Let the people see the work. This is a Bruce Springsteen show. Let him see the sweat." Uh, I don't think that was supposed to be sweat. I think it's because he gets in the shower because he has that bit where he's like, "What's this? Another door?" And then it's just a shower. Ah, and so he's wet for the rest of the movie after that. Wait, what's that bit? The uh, when the last for the last time the lights get turned off and everyone's trying to search for stuff. And he finds what he thinks is a door handle and it's actually a shower knob Mm -hmm. and he turns it and we just, and then we hear him with the squeaky shoes as he comes down the, uh, (laughs) the stairs. That was so I, yeah, I mean, I think he was legitimately sweating because that was quite a performance. I'm not shitting on the movie is not going to take anything away from Tim Curry. No, no, at all. And also, I think you guys are absolutely right. Tour de force. I I do Uh, think it's also worth uh, pointing out, as much as I'd said earlier that this had been like a shibboleth test for other comedy nerds. I have since recognized that it is very divisive in the comedy nerd community. I found. Like, even early days at Cracked, where we all used to work, uh, there was, like, a very clear divide of people who absolutely loved Clue like me and people who fucking hated it and still hate it to this day. And, like, we'll go on Twitter tirades, like, clockwork every couple of years or so to be like, hey, just popping in to remind everyone that Clue sucks and no one should like it. And I've never understood their arguments, but I still, I do understand that this is not a universal experience among not just movie lovers, but among this very specific niche of comedy nerds that Dan, let me we ask fall you, ourselves into. Were you, just because I want to know, and I, it occurs to me I never asked you, um, when you were growing up or, you know, like 
did, were you into like Marx Brothers at all? Like, was that a thing for you as a kid or ever in your life? Marx Brothers came much later for me. I think like the earliest weird comedy for me was Conan, uh, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. SNL stuff. And I came to, I was lucky to come to Monty Python really early. Mm-hmm. These are the things like, especially, especially late night Conan like 90s Conan, early 2000s Conan was like, oh, okay, I don't need to fucking die because they're, they're like my my brand of comedy, the thing that I really connect to exists in the world. There are people who are making this shit right now. Mm-hmm. So so I can, I can still thrive on planet Earth and find other people who also connect with this. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Marx Brothers, I came to like in college, I guess. The one though, there are the ones that are like that for me are some of the Mel Brooks's like Men in Tights. I always found divisive among my comedy nerd friends, and also Spaceballs. There's people who think Spaceballs yeah. is like the best thing ever, and people who think if you take away the Star Wars references, it's like really lazy and mediocre. I mean, you see the Mel Brooks fo- footprint in this. Oh, film. definitely. Yes. Not just from a cultural perspective, but literally. Like I, I think. Um, there's a lot of a lot of the casting was done in that way. I mean, uh, I wrote Young uh, Frankenstein. Eileen Brennan's in it and stuff like that. Like, there's quite a bit of people who, mm-hmm. um, like, kind of came up with them. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Very. Like very. It's early all, in my. Oh, I mean, Madeline Kahn was a big tip, but very early in my notes, I'm comparing it to Young Frankenstein. Definitely. Yeah. Exactly. The yeah. entire cast is comedy ringers, with the exception of whatever guy played mr body who i guess won a contest or something uh he 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 was this is really weird the because we had another podcast with uh tom ryman where we talked about an avant-garde film uh and one of the cast members of just like a random person that was in it was like a punk rock like icon apparently mr body is a punk rock icon oh really <laughs> Yeah, I looked this name? up because I never seen him. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Because he's kind of terrible. Lee Ving is the uh, oh, okay. name of the actor slash musician. And he sounds like a pun the... worthy of the movie. I'll yeah. just be leaving. Yeah, leaving. Right. Leaving. right. right. Uh, and he right. was the if someone in a movie. For... If someone in a movie had introduced someone as, oh, this is Mr. Lee Ving, I'd be like, hey, Wadsworth, <laughs> stop it. That one's gonna die. Like I thought, yeah. I thought Mr. Body was on the nose, but no, like fucking leaving no, so is out. Get the fuck Stick out to the here. shower bit, dude. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know why, but yeah, terrible performance. <laughs> he just seems completely out of the film. I mean, uh, you know, he's probably doing the best he could. And I, I don't know hmm. why they chose him. He must have just been friends of, uh, you know, Jonathan Someone Lynn, involved, uh, the guy yeah. who directed and wrote it or somebody. Yeah. John Landis also did the story did you notice that i did not notice that until this viewing no it's also uh yeah it's interesting that you note that the marx brothers connection because i did feel like one differentiation between this and mel brooks stuff is it seemed to have just like a shtickle more of um classic vaudeville almost popsicle stick jokes (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. The one I actually wrote down because I, I do like it in theory, but it's a joke that people nowadays would obligatorily like roll their eyes at uh, mm. is 
something mysterious. I forget what the instigation of the line is. And he goes like, well, you murdered them. I don't know. Can you keep a secret? Yeah. So can I, and they never yeah. address it again. Like, therefore mm-hmm. I'm not going to answer you. That mm-hmm. is something that I think is more Marx brothers than Mel Brooks or more Monty Python even. Yeah. Yeah. It's just clever, yeah. clever writing for the sake of being clever. Like this isn't how people talk. And like, uh, if someone said to me, can you keep a secret? And I said, yes. And they said, so can I by way of explanation then i would have been like no but like fucking seriously <laughs> yeah exactly. tell me how you know this seriously. information but like and they this just is the part on. that goes before the secret that i'm about right. to tell you the double yeah. negative is proof positive yeah uh mm. I like that um but there were a couple i i think there are like major clunkers that are lazy as hell like i can see why this also yeah. got mulched up and rerun on comedy central when i was in my tweens like uh Dan, I just heard you on a different podcast, I believe on a quick question, talk about how one of the things you hate the most as a storytelling crutch is people who go, I know that this is weak, lazy writing, but at least I drew attention to it. Mm -hmm. And I had that same knee-jerk reaction away from the, to make a long story short, you're not joke, which they repeatedly do. It's like, look, I'm already buying that Tim Curry's going to, exposit 70% of the plot. Yeah. Don't draw attention to that's what you're doing. So that really bugged me. And I thought you would probably grant that given uh, what you said. And then the other one is, uh, oh man, it just dates it so perfectly. What is she? She says like forgiveness for a murder is as improbable as sex after marriage. Am I right? (laughs) Get my husband off my back. I have a headache, honey. Um, Yeah, it was just very like of the time. Uh, I think I was just so I was so bought into the the world of this because like from Jump Street, the movie takes itself so seriously in a very strange way, but Mm. is still like our names are. Mr. Green and Miss Peacock and Miss Scarlet and Miss White and Colonel Mustard and Professor Plum. And there's a butler named Wadsworth for crying out loud. And this one's Mr. Body. And we're going to hand out weapons. And one of those weapons is a pre-made noose. Like, yeah. they, they know that they're constricted by some of the rules of the board game. And if you take those rules seriously, it's so fucking stupid that they have to do that. It's like, you get a gun and you a pipe. Like oh, they are, even work in that Wadsworth is like, get a noose? I know the solution, and it's all in this envelope, which is from the fucking board game. Yes. And he's like, um, and there's a point yeah. where someone has a line, well, that's not what we're doing. We're trying to figure out who killed whom with what and where. And you're yeah. like, those are the instructions of Clue. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I respect a, a screenwriter who has been handed this ridiculous task of let's make Clue a movie and then take it very seriously and try to be as clever as possible while doing it. Because mm-hmm. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm I love how they of- go out of their way to be like, these aren't our real names. That would yeah. be silly. This is like a Reservoir Dogs thing. You right. understand. <laughs> yeah. I'm a fan of stupid yeah. things being taken seriously and I'm also a fan of uh, heightened language in in uh silly situations like this is like, no mm. one talks the way people would would actually speak in no, this world not they're all second. too clever by half yeah i love uh the police will be here in 45 minutes 
<laughs> one of my favorite police bits I've ever heard. Uh, also, by the yeah. way, if you're like me and you love Michael McKeon, this is like the hottest I've ever seen him. I was like oh, yeah. scandalized <laughs> by hot Dave Foley looking Michael McKeon. It was... I don't know. I had feelings <laughs> about Mr. Green. But yeah, he was, how he's much, young. how much it's sad because I could literally see them in the writer's room, like making the difficult decision to nerf that joke. How much funnier is Michael McKeon's basically only big joke if he it's I'm going to go home and fuck the, my wife. Fuck my wife. <laughs> you could tell that that I guarantee you that's how that joke yeah. was pitched and they dialed it back and you're like it's way funnier as fuck my wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um if we it's, could... it's one of the best endings and is that the origin of that joke? Is that is oh, that, of, I'm going to go home immortal. and make love to my wife. Or origin, like origin of, joke, of what right? joke? Like just the, um, yeah, like just the reading of that. I've words. heard that as like a meme before. Yeah. And now if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go home and fuck my wife. Yeah. Or uh, you sleep with my wife. I yeah. hear like that if, on the playground. I, I hadn't heard that as a meme before. I thought it was just like the smartest, dumbest way to end a movie that is so full of twists and turns and, yeah, and you think after three different endings there are no more twists or turns that could be made and then deciding to end it on oh and by the way Mr. Green um, he's straight and he fucks yeah and then <laughs> yeah. freeze frame freeze frame is essential a twist that we didn't need at all and like it doesn't make the character better maybe they thought it did in 1985 I don't think it was that problematic of a movie that it would, that it would it think would, like yeah. and no. now he's even double the hero because he's straight i don't no, think that's no, what no. they were trying to say i think it was just like and we've got one more twist for you he's straight and he fucks that's all yeah, yeah it was just uh gay 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 straight i guess because the movie's full of twists the one yeah. that i did find was dated to the point of being like Ooh, was plum because plum's major bit is oh yeah it's christopher he's, lloyd yeah and he's using Ooh. like his lazy low register christopher lloyd actual like taxi christopher lloyd like sleazebag christopher lloyd yeah so <laughs> she's like she's like uh he climbed on top of me i don't even know how it would work or something like that and he's like let me show you. And he just right. like jumps on top of right. one of them, like, like Scarlet, and starts essentially raping her in front of everyone. And right. it just like, gets, it just doesn't proceed to fulmination. Otherwise, it would be shocking. Right. And like mm -hmm. the fact that uh, even though the movie came out in 1985, it was set in 1954. And the fact <laughs> that he, as a therapist, could lose his license for being inappropriate with women in 1954. He's fucking done some shit. <laughs> That's, That's true. Yeah. We were Done's cool with a lot shit. of really bad stuff for oh. a long time. And keep in mind, take this seriously. At one point, to fool the cop who dropped by, they all pretend to be having an eyes wide shut orgy with the corpses, including making out with corpses. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Yes. Uh, there are gold. There's golden moments. I I really thought that was legitimately funny. I really thought it was legitimately funny. It dude. It took me so viscerally back to Agents of Cracked, Abe shooting inserts, and Dan and I trying to cram in as many jokes as possible when we're just conveying like transitional information. Mart. Mm. The idea of Martin Mull on set going, I'm gonna pour the whiskey all shitty so it spills everywhere, delights right. me. It just like, it made me feel like kinship with the crew. Yeah. Cause you know Martin Mull was just like, 
And someone was like, that doesn't really make sense. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Who cares? Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. certainly, I mean, it's a if fucking like, tra- hand bit. Trace yeah. line from, from Agents of Cracked to anything that I've ever done uh, comedically and writing wise for my life that like, I'm, I'm not, not as good at it as, as any of my heroes, but the goal has always been how many stupid jokes can I possibly cram right. into this jokes thing? And second. like, I find yeah. so much of that in clue of just like, it's an entire team of people where it seemed like everyone was on the exact same page of what the tone of this movie was. And everyone, like, these are mostly unknown actors at the time. Like, no one's a huge star in it, but they all get it and they're all clearly comedically brilliant. And everyone is just <clears> like, <throat> I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make a choice that's gonna be funny. Like, every choice that everyone made was funny to just like cram additional jokes into a script that was very tightly cleverly written and already full of plenty of jokes but it's still like eh, what if what if colonel mustard does this what if what if uh miss white does fl- flames 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 i was what if i flames? never knew where was... willard got that and katie willard likes to say that and that is one of the highlight moments too is the delivery of that it feels yeah. so ahead of its time and like a way like kate mckinnon would deliver yeah. a line but not it feels a line, like a joke oh, de- made now yeah not a delivery Absolutely. you would see in 85 yeah no. um, i hate her yeah. so One much thing- i Flames. Flames yeah, on, the on the side of my face. Alan Tudyk did that exact same bit in A Knight's Tale. Don't know why I mentioned that. Just I love that movie. <laughs> oh, wait. Does he, he does recreate that, that line? He, well, he's like, he, he just is so angry that he loses all cadence and uh, structure of sentence. And he's just oh, saying he's just words like, that I are coming to his brain. I just hate. Yeah. I have so much pain. Pain. <laughs> That's you know, right. That's just, right. I remember that line. Yeah. Here's so a, it's like it's a good bit. It's um it's it's still surprisingly fresh despite it happening in 1985. Mm-hmm. But like yeah, here's something uh, that sure. that shocked me on my most recent rewatch of this. Uh, and maybe we should get into like the plot of the movie and how it moves. Um, I was shocked at how slowly it starts. It's they really in the beginning lean into atmosphere and like these people are going to show up and we're going to do it one by one and no one's really going to have any information and we're just sort of introducing you to these people who aren't immediately funny we don't know what any of their secrets are yet we just know that they were called to this spooky house and it's raining and it's there's so much time before mr body gets murdered i don't think i i don't know if i would say that mr body is the inciting incident or if the revelation that they're all here because they're all from Washington DC and being blackmailed is the inciting incident. But it's still so much time of just people meeting each other, not having chemistry and dropping in details that will become more important later. Oh yeah, including like Scarlett's car breaking down so she gets a ride with Plum. (laughs) Very atmospheric for a movie that's quickly gonna devolve into Tim Curry going like, we don't have time. I got to explain this happened right. in this room. For now we're going here. <laughs> a movie that a movie that ends with a three endings, three mm-hmm. different endings, and B Tim Curry taking you by the hand and explaining to you exactly what happened beat by beat. You don't really need all of this information to, to like. I don't need to solve this mystery. It's not an Encyclopedia Brown book where I'm trying to solve it before we get to the ending. The ending they're gonna fucking tell us everything. But it's that's why it's so strange to me that it starts so like slowly and dryly and atmospheric, knowing that 
it's going to get so crammed full of fucking jokes two thirds yeah. of the way into it. It's so that's interesting to me because I think that that's that kind of is one of the cruxes of why I don't feel it holds up as much as I thought. And maybe it's just me. I can, you know, I, I might just, you know, have to step down from my high horse on this, but like, it's definitely like the filmmakers when they made this were thinking of things from the fifties. They were thinking of things like Howard Hawks and Preston Sturges. The writing tells you that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, it feels like they were talking about like arsenic and old lace or like a Cary Grant film when they're talking about the tone that they're achieving. And that is kind of speaks to what you're talking about, Dan, about like how it like kind of eases us into it. And remember at this time, this is filmed like in the eighties comedy was kind of in a different place. You have to say that this was not coming out the same year as, but like around the same time as things like Stripes or uh, I guess like Good Morning Vietnam or it's something a, it's like a, that. It's a like, year after Ghostbusters, I think. Porky's yeah, exactly. Too. So it like, it's, it, there had already been an update as we all know, as we've been like a part of comedy as most of our lives at this point, um, you know, it moves and like the types of jokes that we tell, but it's also the way that we tell them is changing. Mm -hmm. And this is like a toss back to the older times of how jokes were told, uh, in a way. And I like that they kind of put that little they put that costume on and played around with it, but it was told by people who I don't think were particularly funny. I'm not talking about the performers. I'm talking about the writing in general, which we can talk about like what, what goes on in this movie, but like the jokes themselves, yeah, hit or miss just like any comedy for me, even like, I remember growing up and loving this film because I, like you, I was absolutely enthralled with, you know, Tim Curry running around and that, you know, that ding, 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 ding music and stuff like that. Like who doesn't want an act three of their movie to be just a cliff notes version of the plot with Tim Curry running around to that music. But, um, it definitely feels like they had to kind of do that to make sure it succeeded. The jokes are kind of, Paying homage. I would it's argue, like a very yeah. typical film. The writers locked out him. with the cast. Huh? The writers no, locked absolutely. out that that's their cast. Yeah. I think it was vastly improved. Just like my Spidey sense, my director Spidey sense tells me that like this was a lot of the comedians in the room playing with the lines and making it better and stuff because the line in like the impetus for the jokes are not that hilarious there i can't think of many that are uh they're not as good as mel brooks uh doing that same kind of thing they're not as good as uh there's no spectacular performance which was kind of like how comedy went in the uh 80s where it's just like get your funniest person in front of the camera and then just make them do jokes and bits uh this is more streamlined this is more like a marx brothers type thing and because of it, this writing isn't as strong as those guys. So it just kind of feels flat in the end to me. It it's just funny feels like one of those things where it malaises over everything and just kind of, I don't know. I don't it's funny know you say flat because I would, uh, it reminded me of a play. It remi- Like I expected it to be the comedy stylings, the level of shelf of joke reminded me mm. of a lot of comedic plays I did in high school and some and right. parts of college. Yeah. Um, and like I, sure thing or something. I like farcical plays. I, the reason I said it's funny as flat is because movies are flat and plays are three dimensional. Does that did that scan? But it's anyway, a, my a, point is not until right now. I wanted to ask Daniel because I know you also like the, like theatrical play plays a lot. Um, 
I do, I do feel it fails to reach like the complexity, like the elegant heights of like a noise is off or right. It's not. I was going to say noise is off. Yeah, twenty third. It's certainly yeah. not that. Uh, it feels like it does aspire to be that, mm-hmm. uh, which I like a yeah. whole lot. And, and like, if you're not consuming, as Michael calls them, play plays, uh, <laughs> you don't really get a lot of that kind of energy in movies that much. You get it more in like. Like dramas will have a play energy if you're doing closer, mm. which is a bad example because mm. that was a play first. But like drama just seems to lend itself more to, oh, this is a, a movie where it's okay that it's four people talking to each other and fighting in in various rooms across some span of time. But we mm. don't really get a lot of representation for like these big, broad, tightly scripted, physical, satirical plays in movie form. Uh, and that might be why I'm I'm um, more generous to Clue than anyone mm. else in this podcast. It's just because I want more of that. I want more tightly scripted farces yeah. where clowns bounce into each other. <clears throat> yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I get it, man. I get it. Because some of them are like works of art when you see it and it's a dance and all the elements coalesce in your act three. Think of that act three versus this act three, which is just a rehash of act one and an act two that frankly is people searching houses, uh, a house, you know, it's like, there's not a lot of plot to go back over, which is allows them to go back over it. And so that's kind of how they do that. That feels like it might be a meta conversation, but I just don't see where that is. Like, I just don't see it. Um, But at the same time, I do kind of branch those two worlds because I remember growing up with this and watching this VHS tape like all the time when I was young. I loved it. I remember thinking it was hilarious and I wanted to creep up into this world. And if that's the spell that movies just need to cast on people, it's a wild success. But uh, as, as far as like rewatchability, I, I put a lower than I would expect it. Hmm. It's also uh, <clears throat> notable to me that, well, we mentioned the three separate endings, right? Because in case someone hasn't seen it. Uh, yeah, so exp- I, can, I can dip into you that. You explained it before before we started yeah. rolling. Explain it again, please. So most people, if you're like me or Abe, your uh, exposure to this movie was watching it on Comedy Central reruns in <laughs> the 90s. Or if you're watching it now on showtime or hbo on demand or itunes or however you get your fucking things um you know it as a movie that ends with an ending and then there's a title card that is like and it's like that's one way it could have ended but how about this take this on for size and they play a completely different ending with some similar elements and then once again a title card that was like that's pretty interesting but here's how it really ended and they give you like the actual ending of this movie after these two false positives that uh and each one they like retcon it's not like an after the credit sequence it's like that thing you just saw that for the last five minutes it didn't count now watch this thing okay that thing also didn't count now watch this thing this is the real ending focus on this one and it's a very strange way to end a movie that didn't bump me as strange as a kid because i was like oh that's cool interesting uh more movies should like give me options um i found out (laughs) later that um that was part of the marketing gimmick when this movie first came out in 85 was uh 
Go see Clue multiple times in different theaters because there are three different endings and you never know which one you're going to get. They were separated. And like a theater and randomized, it sounds yes. like. Yeah. And a theater couldn't tell you like you're getting ending C, which is the real ending. It was you just like went to it and got an ending and uh fucking nobody was on board with this. Everyone yeah, no. was mad because people came out of it like, but what's the what's the real one? What's the real fucking I wanna see the real ending? And yeah. I don't think when it came out they had a real ending. They're like, like, all like of them. I don't know I'm if all. I don't I'm not sure if they decided that <laughs> ending was that ending C was D the real ending. ending. D was oh, never really? released. I though. saw three. Okay. They just cut outright. Yeah. yeah. But the um, yeah, so, and I it's so much better with all three. Yes. I mean I suppose, but I also find that as marketing gimmicks go, it could work in a different situation. But my issue right. with it is the whole magic of farces like these classically is the little like clockwork nature of you go, mm -hmm. wow, that must have been tough to think of and build because all the pieces only could have gone that way. And it's like built so meticulously. I think it kind of undermines to point out that really it's just writing and it's just a big soup. We could have made it go anyway. We just made it seem complicated. It could have done this or this or this. I like the... I feel like it's ironic that they picked that marketing ploy for this movie because it's one of the few genres where multiple endings is like directly opposed to the appeal of the genre. Right, a who done it? But it yeah, it's a who done it? Born out of is the, the last place to do multiple game. endings. Yeah, yeah. I like that they paid homage to the game in that way, and I like that. I think movies should try fucking with the medium or fucking with Definitely. the format and distribution. I understand why it failed <laughs> yeah. because yeah. it's not the right choice. Also, but... people almost don't like the implication that the story could be not. I bet there. I like. I feel like on a subconscious level, there's lots of casual film goers who are like, "Don't confront me with." the idea that it's all bullshit anyway there could be any ending because it's all fake anyway i go to the movie to like suspend my disbelief right tell me the story yeah yeah don't at the end go but it doesn't matter who cares whatever happens yeah. did anyone else notice that the second ending the one where miss peacock killed all the victims because uh glaring she plot was, hole in that because one. of like because she was literally like it's the only one of the three that they could both of those other ones could conceivably work because like yeah. if you go back in the film and now that we have you know we can stream it or whatnot you can go back to the scene that they're referencing the like there's one person who's missing from that scene and you can write it down and follow the logic and ending the second ending just breaks that entirely and it's kind of funny how they get away with it quote unquote because they pick up at a different spot like he's always coming out of like the bathroom for ending one and three, he they Curry, in yeah. ending three he kind he comes out right where he left off, kind of at, at like a, a literal point where we remember in the footage when he did it initially, and then as if he went, were to say some different things now. But in ending B, they had shot a whole different sequence where he was like, and then she went boom, and then boom, and then boom, and she did it, and it's just like, but that's not how that person died. <laughs> they mm -hmm. died in that room well the one so, for me and her in ending two is that scarlet goes and none of you will tell on me because i have leverage against you and we already know what all the leverage is and it's all like you f you had sex with a patient or things that are all bad 
But she just literally admitted she murdered six Six human beings. You're like, dude, you got nothing on us. Relatively, you are fucked, Scarlet. Right, Mr. Green can be like, Mr. Green can easily just be like, no, I'm I'm just, I'll just tell the FBI I'm gay. You're like a fucking serial killer. Fucking goblin. (laughs) I bet they'll go easy on me. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, Also, (sighs) Mustard's was legit though. Mustard did a full on all my sons. Like Mustard's plot, which they toss off at the end, like in oh, one yeah, line. Oh, yeah, he's a war profiteer. Like, oh, by the way, I made faulty machinery that killed a bunch of our boys in the Pacific. And you're like, holy <laughs> shit, that's dark, Colonel Mustard. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's just because we have uh, the benefit of time. But halfway through, I was m- imagining uh, him to just like, he doesn't have glasses, Plum does or uh, Green, what's his name, what is, uh, Colonel Mustard doesn't mm-hmm. have glasses, but if he took him off, he was like, Jean Parmesan. Right. Oh God, <laughs> yes. And, then he's, and that's why you don't kill someone with a candlestick. <laughs> like, it's just, it It felt, he, he also looks really young, so like, some people may not make that connection, but yeah, he, uh, what's his name, Martin uh, Mull. Martin Mull. Martin yeah. Mull. I, I do think there's some ways in he which his great. weird genius shines through, yeah. If I was the killer, I'd kill you next was pretty intense, yeah. though. <laughs> Who yeah, would say that, that in that, that situation? I do really like, uh, I came into money during the war when I lost my mommy and daddy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, two corpses, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So there are there are solid jo- jokes and really good performances. Yeah, uh, I, I still every time laugh at when like sure. the, the singing telegram girl is shot. killed yeah. and they just open the door look at her and they're just like <sighs> Who's that? and they close the door like that's it like, there's like <laughs> it's like a mime like, joke right you, it's yeah a mime you joke. you watch these group of people over the course of one bad night just get so immediately accustomed to death senseless death that it's like okay like look we we all grew up 25 minutes ago this is just another one mm-hmm. it's fine <laughs> Is there a restroom? Uh, we, oui, madame? None of your business. We, <laughs> we, oui, oui, madame. Yeah, we, oui, we, oui, madame? None of your business. Could uh, be number two. Uh, is anyone else... Uh, I wasn't... I wouldn't say bothered, but I found it like... Look at the balls on these guys. Like, uh, writing a board game movie into, like, a shallow allegory for politicians destroying, like, the government? Oh, my God. It was communism? very heavy-handed on the, like... I used to work with maniacs and psychopaths. Now I work with the UN. Ah, so your work hasn't changed. And I'm like, that's such a highly politicized viewpoint. It's so to politicized hide in this like, movie. They're killing, the US should be uh, out of the United Nations, damn it. Mr. Body, which probably represents like a government or the people or something. But what did you guys think of like maybe that wasn't maybe I'm looking too far into it. That's but, from like, the game. Mr. Body is the victim in the game. Right, right, know. right. But like it just feels like that was them grasping for stress. Like, mm. do you feel like that was as comedians, do you feel like something like that is necessary to make a board game movie? Because I'm trying to think of like even remakes of like Oh, like, I don't well, know, like yeah, Battleship layered in, or something. They layered the one thing that feels like they just had to put it in and it has no connection to the board game is nowhere in the board game does it say right there's blackmail and everyone involved in the game works in government that was a very weirdly specific layer to add like yeah i don't know i I wonder if i agree with you though they probably were like that's the substance though you gotta like thicken this up it's just a board game yeah i think for so 
speaking as a comedian whose favorite jokes to make are the ones that people don't really like uh, because the point of them is how long they take and how much um, thought went into them. I really like that they did this. Like the idea that someone is just commissioned by fucking Milton Bradley or whatever. And it's like, Mm. look, the game is popular. Make a movie. That's the game. And a person (laughs) would be like, wouldn't it be really funny if I pretended this movie about the game was very serious about politics in the 50s somehow? What if I made one of the characters a war profiteer? And what if I made one of them uh, a widow who had been profiting off her husband's death because things were tough for women in the 50s and then never again? Or what if I made one of them a woman who ran an underground brothel? And it's like, these are things that uh, I don't think the screenwriter thought was like important to important, bring right. to people's attention to in 1985. But I, I fully co-signed the idea of like, this movie Clue is fu- could be funny. Wouldn't it be even funnier if it's, the screenwriter thought it was important? And I'm going to try to infuse some of that, that. Inter- energy into it. The first I, 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 one of the first say, shots is the McCarthy hearings on TV. Yeah. Like, are you weaving themes into the Clue movie? <laughs> yeah. And Which, like, I understand. The... I understand why that makes me a self-indulgent writer. Sorry to interrupt right. you, but I just wanted to make. No, no, no. I wanted to get, uh, get ahead like, of I that. I think you're right. Uh, I, I think you're zeroing in on why they did it uh, because like it's definitely that or at least to me it is because they kind of tip their hat in two of the endings where they say literally communism was a red herring. Yeah. Um, but it is strange that even if first off it might the problem comes up to me is that yes the communism was a red herring in terms of like if you were looking for like a communist plot or something, but it's not a red herring in that you're still talking about all the other stuff that you were talking about. Like these are all a bunch of corrupt politicians. They are all Washington DC like elites and they're terrible. Uh, <laughs> and it. that's fine, but it's just, let's just, you did that. You did that. You can't get away from it by saying it was a red herring. It's not, it's not the same thing. You can't equate the two. So I just thought that that was like a, a bit of a stretch on their part. I do enjoy, like you were saying, making, you know, a mountain out of a molehill uh, is kind of a great thing to do with a joke, especially when it's like, what is the allegory though? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's no fucking allegory. It's about like falling into each other and boobs and stuff. I don't know. Right. It's fucking yeah. 1985. It's not, I understand why no one liked it when it came out in theaters. Uh, mm-hmm. Because my favorite joke is uh, a joke that doesn't show up on film. And it's just the screenwriter snickering to himself. And like, mm-hmm. I understand why that's not, uh, <laughs> why, that, why that doesn't play. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> but, but in your head, you're at home and the thoughts there and you're there and yeah. it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. I man. think I've I just decided that. that I'm on the same page as, as the screenwriter is like, I think this is funny for the same reasons that you think is funny. And I'm bo- on, on board with all of it. And I co-sign every inch of this film and it's perfect. And anyone who disagrees is wrong. Uh, there's a bit at the beginning. Yeah. And it rolls. Mike, did you have anything that you wanted to say about that before I segue to different Not topics? about that. No, go ahead. No, uh, there's a bit at the beginning with the uh, stepping in the dog shit. And Mm. I want to ask you if you guys thought that that actually worked because it's three beats, right? And what surprised me about it is that it's kind of relative to its time. It has a pacing 
that is more irreverent and um, it's quicker in a way that is more like current comedy. And by that, what I think I mean is that like there's like four scenes in a row and three out of the four scenes have the dog shit bit. Uh, bit. And so the idea is that he steps in it and then he smells and then uh, Tim Curry uh, steps in dog shit and he smells it. And he, uh, okay. And then Yvette, he meets with Yvette and she smells it and she thinks that maybe she did it. And then uh, Miss White also thinks that there's this beat in the middle where he goes off to the cook to talk to the cook and she doesn't have that bit. That's and I was like, that smells like shit is the joke I got retroactively. Oh, I didn't even yeah. catch that. That's kind of tough to like in that room. The shit smell is gather. so strong. It's not differentiable was what I thought. The monkey which brain. I yeah, because yeah. the, the, the um, food oh, is, I want to say that's not also local to DC. Yeah, go ahead. Interesting. Uh, Monkey brains are not popular popular in Cantonese cuisine, which he says twice. And I, th- I would say by modern standards, that's considered like a ooh thing to say. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's all. I'm not sure that the like. I guess the, my question is from your like. Would you ever do that? Would you ever write like a like, not plant and payoffs, but like the callback bits, like uh, you know, just double jokes or just the idea. And like, if you're writing TV or if you're writing a movie. If you're thinking about like I have to space the beats so that it feels like oh yeah and remember that bit and that's kind of the joke you're leaning into that you're gonna do them like within three minutes of each other have you is there other examples of that I can only think of a few but like it feels like it's kind of like I'm not sure it works because the beats stretching are stretching so too far for time oh you oh, think they're too, too they're too close they're so close it's like within two minutes and i could see how well the classic example that will shut you right up is one of your favorite film jokes of all time which is in shaolin soccer where they repeat the same footage immediately with zero time separation (laughs) the reason i think that one's good is because it's twice and only twice because it comes out of nowhere you can have whatever weird likes you want all right all right right. it's fine so yeah, it's Michael a, and yeah, I, no, I, it's I the, fighting. It's fine. The time I wish I could comedy rule of twos. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> no. I can't give you I can't give you a satisfying answer because like I could conceivably write uh, a three beat joke There's that no happens rules. very quickly, right. or I could all like I. By which I mean I'm capable of that. I'm much more likely to write a joke that uh, will pay off four years from now. That's my favorite too. I love right. that. <laughs> I guess even further, or just like one more question about it, is that like, do you think it worked? Because like, it's it's kind of the biggest beat at the front that introduces your characters and like the situation. And usually you kind of, like conventional wisdom says in your movie to kind of like, not necessarily if this was a hero movie to save the cat, but in a comedy to do a joke. Um, it should be like not a killer joke, but like it could be a pretty damn good joke. It should be right. It's that's, that's the idea. I would say it. It. Uh, I don't think it works. If there's one weak point in this movie, which there's not, it might be this. Just because <laughs> we set up the dog shit so early, um, right. and the payoff isn't very strong, and yeah. like especially for a movie that has such rewatchability for me anyway, and like tries to be uh, like clockwork plotting where all the pieces fit together and and move in sync and you don't understand what they are until you see oh it's a clock um and the the dog shit thing doesn't really have too much of a bearing on on 
the plot. I don't know, like part of it. it also, you, there's you, a part way of it you think like it in. the the dog shit is there to set up the fact that there are dogs, which is a good motivation for people not to leave the house because that's one of the first questions mm-hmm. you have is like, why isn't someone just like fucking jumping out a window? Oh, there are big scary dogs. Oh, I remember from the shit that was planted before that there are dogs here. Mm-hmm. So that's like the the most generous read I have on the inclusion of that, but you know. Otherwise, you want yeah, yeah, you want no, no. someone to to in Act Three either slip on the dog shit in a big way or right. go through it and be like, "Wait a minute, the key was in the shit. That must mean that someone right. did X Y Z." But because uh, we all know shit is funny and you can make yeah. it work, uh, it just felt like one of those weird beats of like that's how you start your movie. All right, right. All right. you know, it just uh, wasn't like bad. It's not like fuck this joke. It was just like that's an interesting thing that I thought. Well, I had you both. I would ask. Yeah. About the closeness of beats and if that affected anything for you. So you answered my question. What do you got, Michael? I just want to know what Daniel thought of Knives Out. Oh yeah. I liked it a whole lot. I really enjoyed it. Um, I am not sure that I... Do you think that's a fair question or it's comparable to Clue or do you think that's a passing similarity? You know what I mean? Uh, I think it's a passing similarity. Okay. I think you, you get um, wealthy wasps in a New England home and there's murder afoot and twists and turns, then of course you're going to draw comparisons between the two, especially because whodunits on that scale are so few and far between in our time. I think it's closer to Agatha Christie than Clue. Mm. Yeah. That's true. It's more of a Clueso thing. Can yeah. you think of a recent really good clockwork farce on film? Because you, you mentioned how rare they are and I have been mulling that over and that's true and I'm trying to think of Yeah, any. let me let me also Martin it over for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, yeah, that's yeah a people. Question, if don't I think like I can. Should, I think if you like, like our stuff, check out Martin Mull's early comedy albums on Spotify. Yeah. Good stuff. Also, I think one of the reasons that I, because I've I've watched Knives Out like four times now since it's come out, and mm. I went from leaving the theater and immediately being like, everyone go see this movie right fucking now, to where I'm where I'm at now with with a little bit of time, which is like I think I just liked all of those actors, and I liked the idea of doing a movie like that. So much so that it, it it generated a lot of goodwill from me. I still think it's a it's a good movie with uh, a high rewatchability quotient, but mm-hmm. I think what I was really reacting to was like, oh, good, we're doing stuff like this again. Thank fucking god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't have to keep like remaking Ag- rare, Agatha Christie. It feels like a rare bird. Yeah, <laughs> which is why I compared it to Clue. It feels like even if they're not identical, they're similar in that. It's just like a kind of movie that the spotlight doesn't really shine on that often. Yeah. Or like when you get a whiplash and you're like, we almost never make those. That was good. That was refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. Make more whiplashes <laughs> and you see more whiplashes and you're like, and you're like all right, nah, maybe I'm over that whiplash. for a bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but I think clockwork whodunits are also that. Well, also because on their face, any writer sitting down to write a thing where you push like your glasses up the bridge of your nose and you're like, the thing about this movie is it will be so well written that the people will be delighted by how clever and witty 
and complex it is. Um, a lot of writers will immediately go, I can think of an easier thing to write than that. <laughs> so I think it's rare because like, it's rare that someone is like, I will, I will explore that obscure side genre of comedy. Screw the hangover, screw money and like security <laughs> in this life. I want to write something very fancy. Um, and I just love it when that comes around. Cause I think that's why so many comedy writers from our generation will feel that way about Arrested Development's early yeah. seasons till the day right. we die because we're like, you don't yeah. get it. They were trying way harder than right. they had to. Way then, like, harder. <laughs> speaking on that, with Knives Out, when before the movie had even come out or I think like around the time the trailer came out and you just saw the cast and reading interviews where like the thrust of the interview, interview was how did we get all these people in this movie? And it's like Jamie, Cur Jamie Lee Curtis and Tony Collette and mm. uh, the... Uh, the, the captain from Sound of Music, Christopher Palmer, Jesus. And they're like, I, I, I read the script and I just had to sign on. Like that was everybody's answer. They read the script mm -hmm. and they had to do it. And I was like, oh, fuck, this movie's not going to do well. Right. <laughs> did it not financially? I think it did, it, it did well enough that it's it going right. to do a sequel, but it's, like, oh. it's, it's more like um, yeah, su it surprise success than it is right. planned success. But if you can afford to get that cast back, you must have made... Some chunk of change. Uh, I imagine the yeah. plan will be to do another Benoit Blanc mystery with oh, a brand new cast. With a different cast. Yeah. That makes sense. Right, right. By the way, if people want to know. The Benoit Ball uh, mystery. Took, took $40 million to make Knives Out. Took uh, box office with three, $311 million. Oh, shit. There you go. So it fucking did really well. All right. What about Clue? Can you look those numbers up real quick? Clue it made its money back barely. And it was okay. about $15 million and it made about $15 million. What do you guys um, think about mm -hmm. the Clue remake? Oh yeah, with uh, Ryan Wait, Reynolds mm -hmm. and people. Who oh, is that people? coming? I don't know about that. Yeah, Jason Bateman was supposed to direct. He's not doing oh. it anymore, and not doing it anymore. I, yeah, we read the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what that's going to look like. I hope it's not more of the same. Like, I'm sick of superheroes, and I still find Deadpool movies entertaining. So I trust that team to refresh the genre if they feel like I it. I trust that there was a reason they were chosen for Deadpool and they're not like our identity is Deadpool now. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that yeah. could get in the way. It's, and I doubt they will. A, a cl clue remake is confusing to me because like to the people who love it, they really love it. Right. There's also a lot of people who hate it. And there's also a lot of people who are like mostly indifferent to it insofar as like, why would you need to remake that movie that I kind of remember mm -hmm. from right. 40 years ago? And if you're trying to appeal to the people who really love the movie, you're not going to get them because that's me and I don't want a remake. It's specific to the time and the yeah. people involved. I would yeah. rather Ryan Reynolds and the team behind Deadpool just like come up with a different whatever they whodunit want. thing. Yeah. Or yeah, it doesn't even yeah. need to be a whodunit. Like, wh like whatever you want. Like just assemble all of the frames that you, Ryan Reynolds, has as a person who has uh, at this point in your career unlimited Hollywood capital it seems to just mm. play with so don't do something that will not I don't know like who who could be the audience for a Clue remake right now I don't think it's about Clue with this one I think that people are basically saying like okay so meta's really in right now everyone loves meta jokes because we've reached that point in the zeitgeist where like the lexicon between the audience and the filmmaker has 
shortened that that gap a little bit. And that pairs well so with Cleo. They were just looking at properties that were for sale that have some sensibility of meta Is this is my opinion? Yeah. And so the fact that it has three endings, the fact that it's a board game, the fact that they call each other the names of Clue, Clue still fairly relevant. Probably the fact that it's considered it a cult classic. Yeah, these are right now. Yeah, the considerations that are more important than is it a whodunit? What's it all about? Yeah, Abe, I do think you're right because, and this will get inside baseball, and I hope it's things that we could talk about. But I remember back in uh, the cracked com days where mm-hmm. we would take general meetings with like not necessarily Warner Brothers, but like like big companies that owned a lot of IP and were just Mm. sort of realizing that they owned a whole bunch of shit. So they would take meetings with us and they would take them with every other comedy endeavor on the planet. And they would just be like, Hey, we, uh, we own all these DC characters that, that aren't like the big DC characters. So pitch us on those. And we would pitch on those and they would be like, okay, we also like, you know, we, we own, uh, the board game. Sorry. Do you guys have, do you, do you have a little web series? With that. You yeah. want you want to pitch a web series on Sorry? So I imagine that they're also going around to like Ryan Reynolds production company, and they're like, "We own Squirrel Girl and Nathan's Hot Dogs and the Beastie Boys, <laughs> and now that's what I call music and Clue and uh, um, Fanta." I liked I liked our Goonies pitch. We had you, a Goonies. Uh, Abe and I have pitched a Goonies like web series revamp and we've pitched yeah. a uh what's the other one i really liked oh uh, uh super secret secret squirrels they owned that just sure. that hannah barbera and they're like anything with that but like edgy and rick and morty ish and we're like i mean yeah sure right you so that's what i imagine is, is, yourself. is happening where that you you sit in a meeting with ryan reynolds and his people and it's like so we own Clue, we own Captain Crunch, we own <laughs> yeah. Foot Locker, and he's just like, Clue, I could probably make a Clue movie. Okay, great, that's sold, sold. You're going to make a Clue movie. Here you go, here's some money. Make your Clue movie. I just, so Clue I fights want Foot Locker. To be real. Yeah. I want this dystopia to be real so bad. I want to go to a Beastie Boys concert yeah. and yeah. sit there with my Nathan's hot dog. No, like, <laughs> well, we play it Clue is real. and talk about Foot Locker. It is some guy in an office building in a in a connecting dots in a very nice suit and he's just like look i just opened our portfolio and it turns out we own nevada and the looney tunes and uh harry belafonte do you got can you do anything with that and the number five can you do a fifth part installment it's like it's like improv (laughs) you know what he is he's hooking pipes up at the heart of the dream factory that's what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> keeping the dream good. sludge flowing. Okay, I've, no, d- yeah, I've done arguably, I've done arguably uh, too many uh, three to five entry riffs on what a company could own. Does anyone else want to take their their stab at it, Michael? What's some other funny things that a person could own? Uh, Tim Curry's delicate ankles as he runs comedically through a scene. Okay, because that's what I want to pivot to. <laughs> Fine. I just thought I thought that was my uh, favorite. I like I laugh the hardest of anything in the movie. Literally, just Tim Curry's body language when a director told him, "Now run from this room to this room in a funny manner." <laughs> Very good at that. You can hear oh, a xylophone. So like it's like he's on ballerina point. Like there should be. Very good. Yeah. Uh, when he falls out of the freezer. 
Mm. It's very good. He, ta- he runs back very good. He's got like a weird grin on his face and it's just like comes out of nowhere, but it totally works with the world that he's we're now in his world. So yeah, yeah. Uh, he so does that. <laughs> he is transparent. He is wonderful. Uh, I watched, do you, I watched recently, uh, do you guys remember the movie also came out, I think this year or not this year, but in 85, I want to say maybe it was sometime around 85, but, uh, legend. Is that where Tim Curry plays yeah. like the fucking devil? He's the devil. Yeah, yeah, it is. And Tom Cruise Boring and Mia is in it. Yeah. <laughs> It's fucking boring. It's a fantasy. They were like, all right, Ridley Scott, you got that Blade Runner money. What do you want to do? He's like, and I'm going to make Willow. Oh, shit. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, fucking go to town. It's about it's like a the loss of the last film. unicorn. And they, yeah, exactly. It's like they saw a unicorn's bone and so they they have to, hell's here now or yeah. something. I don't remember the plot really. No. But um, Tim Curry in that is like, they just put him through every like it is not Tim Curry in any way. And he's absolutely like not only is the uh, makeup and the effects transformative, but like the little bits that you know that you should be able to see are Tim Curry, like his teeth or the way he moves and stuff completely, completely different. Uh, and then you think of this is fucking Rocky Horror. Like he's just all over the place. He's one of the most transformative. Yeah. And uh, he never. I mean, I, I don't mean to speak in the past tense because I know he's still with us, but it feels like his career has reached its peak and is on the downslope. Um, he never, ever, ever got the credit he like richly deserves. He's been one of the most chameleon-like actors for so many decades. No, he's and, like, still like cult status. He's still major, cult status forever. And he's still cult status. Like I think he should be spoken of with like, you know, Chris Cooper and... Dustin Hoffman and Kevin Spacey and all the other disgraced acting geniuses. <laughs> Chris Cooper's still fine as far as we know. What the fuck? Chris Cooper's all right. What the fuck? He is well, someone, uh, I, I think this is like a very grim thought to have, yeah. but I feel like when he passes away, which will hopefully be never, but mm. uh, I talked to some scientists and, and the consensus seems pr- uh, pretty consistent that he will. Um, <laughs> Tim Curry. Pe- oh yeah, he's yeah. gonna die. People will. There will be like a tremendous outpouring of people who, you know, aren't outspoken about him now, but mm-hmm. they will. Like the 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 day he passes away, 150 years from now, you're gonna see a lot of support from people because I just think he's he's yeah. he's been very quietly admired by a lot yeah. of people. And even if you weren't one of the people who's like followed his entire career, you've seen something he's done and you've liked him in it. So, like, everyone will be bummed when he's not around anymore. And just between yeah. Clue and Legend, it's there. That's like a one of the wider. It's like an eight octave and acting Congo. range. Yeah, yeah. Congo and Home <laughs> Congo. Home Alone Two. I was lucky yeah. enough. I got to see him on Broadway in Spamalot Ooh. with uh, with Niles. Oh yeah, and Alan I th- Tudyk. He got a Tony for that one. I think I, he got uh, nominated, some- but he didn't win. I sometimes wish we lived in an alternate universe where the only thing that was different was that Tim Curry was the lead in A Clockwork Orange. Is that weird? Yes. Okay. That's weird. He'd be yeah, good, though. It's, uh, uh, just so you know, I hate to break this to you, uh, Michael. Uh, he He's still working as a voice actor, but he uh, he's in a wheelchair now. He had a stroke in 2012. Yeah. I think the last time I saw him, like physically on something was when uh 
it wasn't Glee. It was when like Fox was doing live musicals and they did the live Rocky Horror Picture Show with what's his nuts from Spider Man Turn Off the Dark. Uh, Tim Curry Bono? made an appearance in that. Huh? Oh, okay. Oh, Reeve Carney. Reeve Carney was mm. uh, riff raff in Rocky Horror, <clears throat> and Tim Curry was gotcha, in it. But like, gotcha. even then, he wasn't. He wasn't standing. Tim Curry was was already looking pretty rough and seated the whole time. Right, right, yeah. It's uh, that's that really sucks. Yeah. Um, because he's, I mean, you know, it it life is the way that it is. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't I'm get more. Still, why is voice this work? where the I'm surprised he doesn't get more wound up. voice work? What are we doing? Huh? How is why is this where our happy clue podcast wound oh, up? Okay. What are we uh, doing? I can right go back because um, you said the thing that made you laugh the most in this, and mine is still mm-hmm. so early in the movie. Michael McKean, um slaps a woman and then in his defenses i had to stop her from screaming and then when tim curry is reenacting the entire plot of the movie for 25 minutes he does the slap and then his delivery of i had to stop her from screaming gets me every single fucking time and i think you should go and rewatch this moment right now or whenever this podcast is over just because tim curry pretending to be michael mckean pretending to be mr green and like a, pushing up his fake glasses and and perfectly imitating Michael McKean's voice is so good. Yeah, it yeah. really is. I remember, it's I remember that Peter always Laurie. liking that bit, and I remember looking over to my computer just to, and I actually replayed it twice because I was like, I wanted to see what McKean was doing as well. Yeah, because he he's also bringing it, and he's just like he does this little thing with his shoulders where it's like. Oh, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, really? That's what you're going to do? It's pretty perfect. They're, everyone's uh, firing on high. Uh, Other than high Curry, side. though, I would say everyone's kind of underused. Or And maybe that's just because exactly. I come from a place where I really know and love Madeline Kahn and Michael McKeon. But I'm like, that's all you're going to give Michael McKeon? Really? It's Michael fucking mm-hmm. McKeon. But, you know. But uh, he wasn't He wasn't that yet. He wasn't. Exactly. That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Martin Mull never yeah. gets that level of respect. Yeah. Let's talk about his reason. death. Has he died? <laughs> no. Where's his stroke? Is it coming soon? I've been waiting. <laughs> this is frame rate where you're right frame. Yeah. <laughs> he uses a, a top wheelchair. The bottom of his body works, but the top Oh, it works. It, the bottom of his body works fucking overtime. But yeah. the, the, the top <laughs> needs that chair. Marty. Um, there, what, what, I want to like at a base level, Michael. Yeah. Did you like this movie? Oh yeah, I did. Okay, yeah, definitely. I know you. Oh, you like certainly like celebrated certain mm. parts of it, but I, I don't know if it moved I, you or if you like felt mm. bad that you hadn't seen it up to this point. Like, were you pleasantly surprised? Like, oh, this was this was pretty good. I'm glad I watched it. Or if it was like, fuck, yeah, I can't believe I missed this. No, it was, it was more like I'm. Oh, I'm glad to finally have that under my comedy belt in its entirety. Um, but I will say, like, I did feel I, other than what we already like sort of expounded upon, which is it was just a pleasure to watch the cast and have all those memories of like that fills in a role that I haven't seen Martin Mull in and I haven't seen Tim Curry in. Oh, okay, that's that role. That's something Tim Curry can yeah. do. I didn't know that. Um, other than that, I couldn't stop thinking of how the script to me it was like someone who 
is up to the challenge of writing the jokes and understands the tone, but they're not quite up to the challenge of a truly farcical masterpiece like A Noise Is Off. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it was like it was like a seventy-five percent of that, with a schmear of like. But it's a movie, so I can make stretches and fudge stuff by just fading. And I'm like, ah, if this were a play, you wouldn't get away with that shit. That stuff bothered me. Um, so I I think I'm kind of with Abe on that front. But I honestly feel like it's just a pleasure to watch. Like, I would watch all these people just do assorted comedic monologues, which in the case mm-hmm. of Tim Curry is almost what you're watching. Like going yes, to a black box theater and watching Tim Curry be like, here's a, here's a one man show about a murder. I will mime everything yeah. again. And that's always super fun. Yeah. Yeah. And Definitely. I, and the, uh, the sheer advancement of like the non sequiturs. It's interesting because now that I know that it wasn't done for the theatrical cut and it was like an executive decision, it almost seems accidental. But if it wasn't, if it had been intentional from square one to have multiple endings and show all three in theaters, then we it would be in the conversation with stuff like No Country for Old Men, where it's like boldly challenging what a film can be. So I was very excited about that in a way. It's funny to find out that it's like, yeah, but they didn't really even want to do that. And if yeah. you saw it in theaters, you only saw one ending. Because I actually thought that made it seem more ahead of its time comedically than it turns out it probably was. I think so too and I think just like being a kid growing up in the 90s watching this movie on reruns in Comedy Central and also seeing the first Wayne's World where they have multiple endings to it I was like oh yeah this is a thing that like funny wacky movies can do great point when Wayne's World did it it blew my mind Mm. I remember that vividly so if I had seen Clue first I bet they would be flipped and I would think of Clue the way I think of Wayne's World which is like (laughs) oh but they invented this and this and what you really mean is in my life that's the first time I encountered that thing (laughs) yeah yeah that's a good point it it does affect we have to remember super downer ending your your personal relationship with any movie comes to what you've seen before and if this is a really fresh take if you've never seen it before it totally uh right turns your thinking it's like when i read animal farm in middle school and it's like it's not actually about animals george orwell invented this concept (laughs) you're right exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) he was the first Uh, because this is when i found it yeah exactly and now I'm going to be a gatekeeper and anyone who <laughs> says otherwise is on my shit list. Daniel, have you seen the episode of Freakazoid where Tim Curry plays an island of Dr. Moreau type scientist? Uh, it's certainly possible. I feel like I've okay. seen every episode of Freakazoid, uh, just not with as much frequency as you have. Sure. So well, there's I- only like two dozen. But even if it's been a while, if you're on a Tim Curry appreciation kick... I super recommend it is like one of the most weirdly inventive runs of voice acting I've ever heard is Tim Curry in Freakazoid clearly being directed to just be upsetting and unnerving. <laughs> he's so like, I, w- I will check that out, but he's so even fucking wild thornberries, his voice. Oh, he's in that? He's Nigel Thornberry. I did not know that. And it's just, it's such a funny voice. Just anytime he talks and like, he never has any real emotional stakes in anything because he's just this like relentlessly chipper adventure dad. And just him 
jumping into any situation like mm, capital yeah penny here we go it's just so fun to imagine how much fun he's having doing this fucking silly thing let me google that to make sure that's true it sounds true now that i remember his voice yeah he's he's fantastic yeah yeah that's him uh, yeah i don't know what either of you guys are talking we about. got a curry confirmation it's oh it's a nick jr show you won't have seen yeah, it's even but a little bit like for a very it, long time. My, it's a little bit past my time, to be honest, to be watching Nick Jr. shows. We should I, have been watching Rugrats, not Thornberries. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a classy Chupo joint. But yeah, Abe uh, Tim Curry does the voice of the dad, and uh, Flea, the bassist from Red Hot Chili Peppers, plays right. the voice of uh, like a, a wild boy that has no but, language. A fear a little monkey oh. boy. They just had Flea get in a booth for several hours and ago. This, is, ah, ooh, this ooh. is a show or this is a this is a band? This was a, a show, show that eventually became a movie that crossovered with the Rugrats universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. And Rugrats. Same production mm-hmm. company as the Rugrats, yeah. Got it. Yeah. I it's think. about babies. Uh, first time listeners might not be aware Abe doesn't hasn't seen childhood cartoons. We'll get yeah. into that. I don't want to dig in, but yeah, yeah just it's, it's believe us. Times. It's true. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm SpongeBob. I, uh, it's Tim Curry, so yeah. gotta love it. You're aware of SpongeBob, surely. I'm aware of SpongeBob. Okay. I'm aware of memes, uh, Michael. Yeah. Well, no, but you're right. Memes. What you point out is interesting because Thornberry's was big at the time, but it kind of has not had the staying power in the zeitgeist of some other childhood cartoons that you would have known of anyway. Like, even though, you know, as you adultified. Mm-hmm. But like Thornberry's, I could see how you could go your whole life and not have heard of the wild Thornberry's. Yeah. That's, it's it's a, good. I think, more thoughtful show than a lot of the other ilk at that time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> I don't know. I, don't I think know. I'm out as far as vis a Clue. What are you up to, man? How are you quarantining? Oh, as of uh, today? I'm doing okay. I just invested in a new puzzle company that I'm very excited about. I was going to ask these... new hobbies or anything. Yeah. Puzzle company? What do you mean? Explain. Yeah, there's this. Um, it's called Magic Puzzles by Max Temkin. It's a uh, magician based out of Los Angeles who... Um, partnered with a bunch of data scientists and artists and other smart people in various fields to make a revolutionary puzzle. So the two things that are, or three things rather, that are exciting about this puzzle now, they're 1,000 piece jigsaw puzzles. And unlike other puzzles, every piece is designed to be interesting in its own way, visually. Like a lot of pieces you just get like, you'll just see like a splash of color. But each of these pieces is just like individually fun to look at. And as you put them together, you see more and more details in the puzzle. And then uh, point number two is at the end, there's some kind of magic reveal that I don't know yet because it hasn't been spoiled. It's not a magic eye thing. It's not an optical illusion. It's a physical illusion that gets unlocked once you put the puzzle together. And the third thing is you don't get... So it's like it does a thing. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but when you finish it, it does something. It does something, yeah. (laughs) And then the third thing is you don't get puzzle dust, which is uh, in the puzzle community, unheard of. That's the drug they just made uh, class one, right? Puzzle dust? Snorting puzzle dust. It's a drug, class one drug. That guy yes, took yeah. a jigsaw to all his kids. I remember on puzzle yes, that's dust. Right, that's it was right. fucked up. Uh, no, wait, what no, is no, puzzle, puzzle dust? Puzzle dust is in like the shavings from cutting the puzzle. Yeah, up. the thing that makes the entire act Got of it. putting a puzzle together feel dirty and not in the way that you want it to. 
Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, I'm a layman okay. in terms of puzzles, so you're going to But that's cool, the idea that turn. rather than just being a random pattern of jigsaw cuts, they are cut around a shape to make the shape meaningful, even just the single piece. That's, that's correct. Neat. Yeah. That's very clever. That's clever. Yeah. yeah. You could support them on, on Kickstarter. Just search Magic Puzzles by Max Temkin, T-E-M-K-I-N. And That's weird. You used to write under that name in the early days of Cracked. Mm. I th- to me, it sounds like a coincidence. what that means. Okay. Cool. Yeah, but just send your checks directly yeah. to Max cool Temkin. coincidence. Mm. <laughs> I hope the, uh, the optical illusion at the end is you uh, driving away in a Ferrari with all their money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 You've been Tempkind. What have you what guys about been you, getting Michael? up to? Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm playing a ton of this new uh, Walking Dead virtual reality game. It's yeah. phenomenal. Man. What do you play that on? All I do is Animal Crossing now. Uh, on literally a uh, you know one of those headsets, you have to like wear like oh, a helmet and okay. it covers your eyes. It's Jen makes fun of me relentlessly about. How there's something extra pathetic looking to someone who doesn't play video games, has no conception of what's going on inside the helmet, that you are just slouched sitting on the couch holding two plastic things, silently looking around and occasionally wiggling your hands through the air. And then I will occasionally go, this is awesome. Whoa. And she'll go, this is like the nerdiest shit I've ever seen you do. This is pathetic. (laughs) I'll be like, well, you don't know what's going on in here. It's rad. (laughs) Yeah, highly recommended. uh, What have I done? Oh, uh, David Bell and I are making a video game. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Based on the thing is what I'm gathering from obscure details. Is that accurate? Say it again. The thing is it the thing based? Yeah, that's we just knew that we wanted a like a Wilford Brimley character to be like I'm all right. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm you can be let me out now. It's just a really funny thing, <laughs> okay. us. Uh, and Dave does a voice and stuff. I don't know. It was just a thing that we were like looking for a new video game to play, and we've been kind of addicted to it. Like mm. we've been staying staying up way too late every night. Talking about little stupid things like you have to do programming and neither of us are good at any of these things. Yeah. So it's not going to be a good game, but it's already pretty funny. So how late <laughs> we'll are we see. talking about when you're staying up late? How late? <sighs> it's time is no. Give me the real answer. The real answer is like some, some days, three, four a.m. OK, I like that. Yeah. 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 It, uh, it's it's pretty wild, man. Uh, I won't let any other details go other than it's just a fun time to like during this time to like, I forgot how much of, um, like a sponge I used to be like you were talking about agents are cracked earlier. And I remember how, uh, like we're, we all kind of knew what we were doing, but we kind of didn't at all. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's just this something about learning a new like system that is just so satisfying that it's just like. Oh, I, I don't know what a camera is. Pick this up. What is this camera? What does it do? What, what do you do when that happens? Oh, that happens. And like you just figure out like how it operates and then you just fuck with it and uh, make stuff. And uh, like I've forgotten because I've been working in like trying to get jobs and get money. So you do stuff you're good at to go back and be a student of something is just so satisfying. Yeah. I It's like a lesson that I learn all the time. Uh 
like every year or few years I'll learn it again. And it, it always surprises me how you just like have to kind of devote yourself to just kind of being young at heart in that way. And just being like, I don't know what it is. This seems like it's going to be a lot of time for me even to get to the part that's actually useful or fun. And then you do it. And then you're like, before you know it, you're really enjoying yourself. And you're like, wow, I'm glad I did that journey. And it's just like, it's good to be reminded of that stuff, especially when we have kind of a lot of time on our hand, more so at least for a lot of people during this time. So that's what I've been up to. That's great, man. I love that. I just pitched today at work that we do all the remote interviews for our E3 filler, not filler, but replacement event through Dreams. So now I'm going to build uh, all the heads of all the video game developers that we are going to interview. <clears throat> I'm building them in Dreams so that we can puppet the heads and do the interviews remotely. Oh, that's Dreams. awesome. Yeah. Uh, Dan, just so you know, Dreams, what he's talking about is the, the pro, like the program, the game, I guess, mm-hmm. that we use to make video games. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, and Mike and I are also working on one. Uh, but that's awesome. That's you great. should do that. Yeah, I use it for. Uh, I've used it for many things. Like if right now, if I was doing storyboards, I'd probably use Dreams to make storyboards. That's how like. Yeah. It's like think of it as like three D Photoshop. Well, you use basically. it in your in your Small Beans video series, Small Beautiful Things, to illustrate yes. shot concepts. That's really useful for that. And yeah, yeah, we're doing like so. It's like. We have to interview, you know, the guy in Sweden who made Cyberpunk or, you know, the lead of that team. Uh, but what it's just going to be two talking heads and a webcam. It looks kind of lame. And I'm like, well, it could be a talking pie we make in dreams. And everyone went for it. So I'm really excited about nice. that. <laughs> That's a really cool idea. They should do it. It'll just be his voice. It's also yeah. really easy to do the like the... That's what I looked. That's what convinced them. Is they were like, "That sounds ridiculously heavy lift." And I copy and pasted this tutorial where you just plug your mic node widget. This is what Abe was talking about. His dreams is really fun to learn. It's like, no, no, no. Check this out. You plug the amplitude output node into your mouth open keyframe node, and without manually animating the the like intensity of the volume going through the wire from your microphone determines the position of the puppet's like mouth and so it's it automatically like it lip synced yeah. you can talk in real time and it goes blah 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 kind of like the south park method yeah yeah it's really head yeah. flap they call it <laughs> yeah it's really kind of like people do really clever stuff mm. uh and it's just like anytime any new medium comes out that it's just like oh people are immediately being clever because obviously people do that yeah like there's there's always going to be you know like a percentage of like people who do TikTok who are going to be like, oh, you really know how to do that medium. Good on you, you know, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, Chris Witt already started a talk show within Animal Crossing, which was bound to happen. That's yeah. blown up. Yeah. yeah. What a weird time. Yeah. I don't care for like, that's it. That's the shit we're up to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear that you're playing a game, Daniel. I wish I was in Animal Crossing so we could share islands, but I just mailed my Switch and all my games to Griffin because his little kids uh. want to play games, and all the Switches are gone from the stores at the moment. Yeah, uh, my friend just got a Switch Lite, so I think you could still... They're in limited supply, and they... yeah. 
are probably selling out fast, so you might be able to get one, one of those, but yeah. The light, I think, is the one that can't plug into the TV, and he explicitly needs it to, like, tire his four-year-old yeah. out. He needs that dancing game. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying yeah. for you, if you want to get a Switch Lite <laughs> oh, to play yeah. Animal Crossing, but, like, yeah. at the same time, like, I'm playing Animal Crossing as a, a quarantine event to spend time like, don't with get friends, used to it. but, like, yeah. I, I hate it. I find no pleasure in this game. <laughs> And anytime one of my friends complains about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds bad. Should we boycott it? If we all boycott it, it'll work. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't walk away if you guys don't walk away. Like, it has I'm to be all of us. kind of getting bored of it. And you're like, you should tell them. You should tell them you're kind of getting bored we of it. We should all yeah. just stop playing it because, like, <laughs> I can't quit as long as you guys are playing it because then I'll be missing out. So, like, wouldn't it wow. be fun if we all boycotted because... Dude, my new workplace is video game centric. I like cannot, I can't publicly be out about the fact that I think it's boring. It causes actual hurt feelings. Like people are like, what do you mean? It's everyone's favorite thing. I know. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just find it tedious as hell. I don't know what to tell you. It's a very strange um, form of comedy that no one will ever see, but I have like, a G chat group with my friends and I who play Animal Crossing, and then I have a separate G chat group with like a larger version of that group of friends that doesn't play Animal Crossing, but a few mm-hmm. of us are in both. And mm-hmm. I'm in the the Animal Crossing one, talking about how much I hate it and how I think Tom Nooks is a fucking indifferent god that we need to slay together. <laughs> yeah. And then in the other chat, a friend of ours will be like, "Should I get it?" And be like, "Oh my god, definitely join us. You can wear fun hats. Like, it's a fucking disease that you spread to other people." And you don't tip that it's a joke, except to the people who are in both groups. Yes, I yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's great, dude. See, yeah, now that's that you're exact- here, we hate Animal Crossing. <laughs> that's the joke you liked about Clue. Someone would have to know you personally to have any chance of even understanding that that's a joke. Correct. And you turned it back to Clue, which I didn't even know if we were still recording the podcast. Top at this shelf point. podcast thing right yeah all right yeah let's get out um thank you again daniel this is our excuse to get to catch up with you and i love it every time yeah very much so it is yeah i'm always happy to do uh anything i can with you guys whenever assuming that schedules work out and right now it's pretty open um Mm -hmm. sorry i missed on the the jackbox game extravaganza that seemed like a lot of fun no no next time yeah we'll do yeah. that again it turned out to be way yeah. less of a nightmare than we thought it would be technically i mean it was a lot of fun yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of funny people so we'll be doing that awesome lazy yeah. intro lazy <laughs> outro that's you Just, should yeah. you can, i love you that, find... that that your audience mm-hmm. will be like man this podcast is 90 minutes long they must have a, a lot to say about a clue. lot to like, say yeah Nope, not really. About 35 minutes a clue. Yeah. Uh, Check out more of Daniel, uh, Daniel's writing on the show last week tonight with John Oliver, as well as on Twitter at D-O-B underscore I-N-C, as well as on the podcast Quick Question. I guess that's not your writing, except in the sense that things you say. You it's in out your brain. It's a heavily yeah. scripted podcast. Every yeah, word of it. Go. Every interchange. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta yeah, say, I, I take issue with how often my script says Mike interrupts like a dick. People are. It's starting <laughs> to reflect badly on me. I but I do want to say, like, like team. I understand that note, but but buddy, you nail it. You fucking nail thank it every you, time. I know. <laughs> oh, so good. And being his like main podcast like buddy. 
Ah, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Just working with the pro, you know? This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!